Hello, this is Chucked. Glad to have you with us today. I'm Charles Braxton. This is Austin Charles with me today. Uh, Austin, what are you thinking about today? What's fresh on your mind? Fresh on my mind is the uh, on Twitter last night. I didn't watch it, but the NBA draft lottery was on, and the Celtics won. The Boston Celtics won the first pick of the NBA draft, and so people were going crazy about the Celtics having a team in the Eastern Conference Finals while also receiving the number one pick, something that is usually reserved for the worst teams in the league. Um, Danny Ainge has done a great job being their general manager, or I think he's a, he's a GM, is he? Is he mm. president of basketball operations, something like that, and he's somehow gotten them incredible picks for the last number of years. Um, but I was kind of baffled by the reaction, um, people ignoring the obvious that unless they can draft a LeBron with the number one pick, I don't, I see it as being pretty useless in the next five years. Um, because I don't, I don't see anyone taking him down in the East anytime soon. The only way I would nuance that is it may be four, <laughs> but that's the best case scenario. I Co- think you're coworker right. last yesterday asked me, so, you know, now that, you know, we know it's the Celtics and Cavs tonight. On Wednesday night, um, what's your series prediction? I said Cavs in three. Um, it took him a second to get that joke because it's a seven game <laughs> best of seven game series. So the quickest you could win it would be in four. Um, but it's just it's 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 good stuff. You I, just can't let up on Boston, can you? I mean, it's it's you are you are you are genetically incapable of letting up on Boston. I right think now. just I, I just I get in I get in playoff mode, you know, because I was I didn't feel that way towards. I mean, like. I rooted for New England in the Super Bowl. Yeah, I like dominance. Yeah. I, I love dominance. I'm, I'm, I'm American. I, I love people winning and winning over and over and over again. I, I you know, I, um, die, you know, but you know, come playoff time, like I've said before, I, I, I liked Isaiah Thomas, but now he just seems to be annoying and and just kind of he flops a lot, overplayed, he flops and, a lot. We get it. He's short. You're not the first person to ever person to ever play basketball. It's short. I mean, I don't, you know. So anyway, there you go. I loved I loved hearing Brad Stevens though after after his press conference after they beat Washington the Washington Wizards in Game Seven. It's, it was almost like he was kind of thinking out loud. Brad Stevens is Boston's head coach, and he goes. Um, they asked him what was the series ahead. He said, um, "Well, Cleveland had has beaten us." Um, three out of four times this season. The last time they beat us, it killed us on our home court. They look twice as good as then, and so does LeBron. <laughs> it was like it was all hitting him at once. Wow. Like, wait a minute, what are we up Chief for? rain cloud there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I'm thinking about yesterday Mike and Mike announced that they are ending the show officially. That had been announced. A number of weeks ago, but it was official. I saw it in the paper this morning, and I've been interesting. You and I have talked about 
their shtick lost its pizzazz a long time ago. Two really likable individuals. But I know as a sports nut who like to listen to them in the morning, I don't listen to them in the morning anymore. Very, very, very little. And so it makes me think about the loop, the curve, the bell curve of effectiveness and how long your effectiveness lasts. So I go directly to that and been thinking about that this morning. But today you have some questions that, that we're going to share with our listeners to uh, create a point of dialogue and also to give some insight into our family a little bit more, ourselves. So explain. I um, The most Im- impressive form of, uh, of art to me has always been acting. I, I think it's... Um, there is the separation between creating art with your hands. Acting is embodying art with your body. You become the piece. So I've always found it very fascinating, especially the not so much the finished product of it, but the the process of it. I've um, I think something that's helped me understand the human condition as as well as anything, um, and what makes people tick and the characteristics of people. And the personalities um, has is, has been learning from actors and learning from acting acting coaches. Um, so I, I, I became I, for a number of years. I was a huge fan of James Lipton, the, uh, the the host of Inside the Actor Studio on Bravo. Um, I watched every episode. Your and, favorite is Bradley Cooper, isn't it? Uh, he's one of them. He's one of them. He, 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 I think he, he, he kind of embodies the, I mean, they, they take their jobs so seriously in the best of ways. I mean, they, they know they're playing. They know they're lucky. The good, really good ones, you know, like Bradley Cooper or Tom Hanks or, uh, Meryl Streep, Kate Blanchett, but they just have such an appreciate. I just don't, you don't find many people that have generally throughout the, the whole industry have that great of an appreciation for what they do and the work they put into it. Um, Rob De Niro said that what drew him to acting was that actors were the toughest people he'd ever met. And that's why he wanted to become an actor because he wanted some of that toughness. Um, well, they're, you know, they're very smart and they're very insightful to what makes us human, you know, cause they are very, they observe that on a daily basis and to make them better at their job. But I loved the inside of the actor's studio. I've watched every episode from, from Ellen Burstyn to Johnny Depp to, um, uh, Al Pacino to Julia Roberts, Meg Ryan, uh, any and everyone and watched them on the edge of my seat. And, uh, years back, I found out that they, uh, that James Lipton came out with a book about his life, um, working in the new school of, th- of, of theater at New- in New York. Um, and uh, he also, the last half of the book is transcribed interviews from his favorite ones from the show. Uh, at the end of every episode, though, he comes, he, he asks these 10 questions. They are from uh, French theater director Bernard Pivot. Um, then they were what he asked his actors when he was getting to know them, all of them. He, he would always ask them these 10 questions and they're, they're really fun questions to ask your friends. If you're in a car ride, you know, um, 
they tell you a lot about a person, but they're they're also really fun. The way they do it on the show and inside the actor studios, they you know they candidly ask them and move on one by you know one one next to the other. They ask it at the end of the show, and um, we can expand upon them a little more and have fun with them. But I thought we'd we'd ask those questions. A little bit of a segue from last episode as we talked about an actor and Brad Pitt uh, was what kind of got me thinking about it. And I saw this book on my bookshelf and, um, and yeah, I, I, I like them. So I thought we'd ask them. Do you want me to ask, ask you, you ask, I'll ask back. Okay. Well, question number one, what is your favorite word? My favorite word. I thought about this. It was, it was, it was close. My favorite word is Shalom. The Hebrew word shalom. I love the way it sounds. It's onomatopoetic in that it, to me, it sounds what it means. Shalom, it's our word salvation is rooted in that. So shalom in Hebrew is translated in our language, peace. I just love that word. I say it, it makes me more peaceful. It's more than peace though. It means Things are the way God wants them to be. Mm-hmm. So all of everything is about shalom, about the kingdom coming down is about shalom. It's about setting things right. There is a right way to do things. What about you? What's your favorite word? My favorite word is, I remember when I heard it first, opalescent. And I think I'm glad I sh- picked shalom because I didn't have to say that word. Say it again. <laughs> opalescent. Opalescent. Or I, I guess you could pronounce it opalescent. But you think Oprah would like opalescent? <laughs> <laughs> maybe. Maybe it is. It is a, a, a big O. Um, Oprah went. Oprah went to the opera and opalescence. What? So what does it mean? Opalescence. Now she have to be wearing something that was opalescent. Opalescent is. It, well, why I like it isn't so much the, the phonation of it or or the enunciation, but the um, I think what it what it evokes it evokes a feeling in me. When I first heard that word, I was um, I was doing some kind of some studying and, and this and that. And it was I don't really want to even go into that. Um, it's a long story, but um, I heard the word described um, someone's skin. And it, uh, it is like a pearl, I guess would be the quickest, the easiest way to describe it. Um, mm. but a, not, like an not, opal. Not an opal. Of, opal, yeah. Um, opalescent, meaning it contains a variety of lustrous colors. So, so you know, in a, in a pearl, you, it's white and pale, but opal, meaning a variety of, of rainbow that colors that create this almost like a snowflake of... I guarantee you. This is the only podcast existing in the United States today that is talking about LeBron and Opals. <laughs> uh, but I, I, I just love the... Guarantee you. There's not one distinct thing that that means. It means this variety of just of purity, but color. And, and I just I always thought that was, the, was, pretty the, was the coolest word. That is a cool word. What is your least favorite word? Question number two. This is not going to be good for our listeners up north. (laughs) 
Michigan is just, it, you know, it was traumatic for me. November the 23rd, 1969, when Ohio State had the best team many people believed in the history of college football. They were fighting some injuries. They were fighting overconfidence for sure. Rex Kern, the quarterback, was hurt. And I was eight years old. And man, did I start having an emotive reaction <laughs> to those uniforms, to that fight song, to the helmets. And I've matured now, so I have a deep respect for the university. But yes, hmm. that's my least favorite word. <laughs> Meat <good>. chicken. <laughs> yeah. What about you? I, the first thing, the first thing that came to mind was film, but not as in a, a form of, of, of camera roll film, but in the sense of, of a substance. I don't, I, that's the first thing that came to mind when I, when I read that, I couldn't get that out of my mind. I, I tried to think of, honestly, you, know, you have more, more, in, more interesting things, than you just say that but when, when you, film as a, as a as a as a movie as a production, it's fine. But when I, when I put it in the context of a substance, a film around a bottle cap, I it's it's the it sounds awful to me. Yeah. Um, what um. what about an opalescent film? That's would, that's would terrible. That, be okay? that it sounds terrible. <laughs> that sounds even worse. You know that sounds even worse. It's foamy and it's, it's, the texture is somewhat gooey and sticky and I don't film 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 I'm not surprised that you, you do when, not I, when like I hear that. film in the, in the movie context I hear the consonants in it but when I hear it in the context of a of a substance I hear the the vowel the om and the l and, the, and, a, and I don't you know that just doesn't sound good to me here's here's kind of a three-part question it's two two kind of two questions but there's kind of three parts to each of those questions it is what turns you on creatively spiritually and emotionally so what turns you on creatively The combination of reading and watching movies, there's no question, part of my interest in movie making is the astounding creativity in it, the, the ability to tell a story that moves one emotionally. When I really need motivated during a week of low creative output, and I'm just struggling, writer's block, the right film can get me going. What's the next one? Spiritually. Spiritually. Reading people, people like Abraham Heschel, Madeline Lingle, Richard Rohr, people who stretch my thinking beyond my box very much. I, I like, I don't, I, there's a lot about Richard Rohr, for example, he's a Franciscan priest that I don't, I don't agree with yet, but I love how he makes me think differently. He's expanded my view of God and then travel. Travel really has helped me spiritually because God is so much bigger than my little American experience, Amer especially American Christianity. And then emotionally, mm -hmm. I don't. I don't know how. I don't. I don't know how to answer that emotionally. Yeah, I suppose the. I guess you can answer it any way you want. What makes you 
what makes you emotional in a joyful sense okay, and a sad yeah. sense? What turns what turns on your emotions? What turns on my emotions? Well, suffering, one, watching suffering of, of people, I, I, definitely. That's one. I, I laugh pretty easily. I, I laugh a lot, so I'm not a, I'm not a difficult person to get to laugh, so I laugh a lot at a lot of different things. What about you? What makes you feel creative in those three realms? I think it's similar to yours, and I shared it. I kind of already shared it. Um, acting is just, it's just that craft is just so amazing to me. You know, I, like that feeling of leaving the theater the first time I saw August Osage County with Meryl Streep. Like that was that was inspiring. Phenomenal. Like that this, and not so much as it as is the, the art form of acting, but as Someone can be that great at something. That Sherry and I differ on that. She wants to see a happy movie. What moves me is sadness done well. Mm-hmm. Make 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 me care about this character. Make me believe that this is a real person. You know, like Dustin Hoffman in Kramer vs. Kramer, another Meryl Streep movie. You know, like him in that movie. You know, that's wow. Like, how can you, you know, be that great? It's 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 that, it's, it's so. I guess it's maybe also that feeling, and it gets evoked. You know, and it can also be evoked. In um, LeBron's Game Five, Game Six, and Seven in the finals last year, like wow, like you can be right. that great at something. Right. You can command that much power and emotion and inspiration. But I mostly see it in in movies, I believe, and in, in, in acting. What about spiritually? Spiritually, probably my son. I'd say. Who was it that said having a child is like getting a master's in theology? Mm-hmm. I'd in, say, uh, yeah. That's true emotionally as well? It could be, yeah. It could be. Emo- you know, like the first time I, when, when Mackenzie and I, my wife and I went to see, my son's obsessed with Star Wars, he, we went to see The Force Awakens when it came out to screen it. So to see if he could see it. He was four at the time. And when that opening credits came on, I mean, just just tears, boom, just 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 flooded. Um, so I, I I I think I also could cry any on command anytime you're you're preaching. If I think for thir- if I focus for thirty seconds, I could start crying. Why do you think that is? Obviously, besides the dad thing, I don't know anyone who listens to my sermons more than you do. Better than I mean, which is really the highest compliment I could get. Uh, I'm not surprised that you say that quite candidly, because mm-hmm. I know that to be true. Maybe it's because we've had this journey together for so many years, twenty seven. That mm-hmm. I think it's because. I know there's there's going to be a Sunday someday where I'm not listening to that, mm-hmm. and I've never. Hopefully not had that. later rather than sooner. <laughs> yeah, hopefully. But, but I think I think that, that's the thought I focus on that emotionally will will um, will turn on the furnace. You know. Mm-hmm. It's funny you say that about Star Wars too. So things that in our journey together that we've shared. It's why when I hear the OSU fight song when the band does script Ohio, 
I've got to fight back the tears every time. Mm-hmm. When I'm in the stadium, it's to me like a reunion of my state. Mm-hmm. But when I saw the trailer to The Force Awakens and Han Solo says, Chewie, we're home. Niagara Falls. <laughs> you know, I mean, it was just because that's just so much part of my I was a teenager when Star Wars came out, but just it, it, it's so much a part of when you were a little guy and, you know, you loved you. You had the unfortunate incident of 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 coming of age with Star Wars with Jar Jar Binks and yeah. that series there. That was not the highlight of George Lucas's career. But, yeah, it, it's yeah, it's all it's always about relationship. It's all about relationship every time. Yeah. The fourth question. What turns you off creatively, spiritually, and emotionally? All of the, all, all three was one thing, religion and religious people. I, I, I think I got still a lot of work to do with my resentments toward religious people. And it, it, nothing will shut me down creatively, spiritually, and emotionally like religion. I, I, at the end of the day, I'm in this because I have a war on religion. Mm. You know, I do. I, I get why people think religion is the world's problem. Mm. I understand that. And I, I would eradicate it from the world. And I know some people say, well, wait a minute. You're, that's being very semantical because Christianity is a religion. Mm-hmm. And when you say it's not, yeah, it's, no, I, I really believe that religion as an end in itself is a big part of the problem that we have. Well, if, that, that Jesus came to end that. If Christianity is a truth by what you live by as the truth to life, the, the meaning, the essence of life, it, it is no longer a religion. It is life, right? Right. It transcends the structure, the scaffolding, as I put it. Mm-hmm. It transcends that. The scaffolding's not the point. If, you're not a, if you don't have a house... You don't need scaffolding. Mm. And I, I love where I am in that I could never go to church, take communion, do the sacraments, whatever, the rest of my life if it meant I did it because it was a duty. Mm-hmm. That has no value to me. Made to someone else, to me it has no value. But I walk, I wake up talking to God. I I used to dread being awake at four in the morning. Part of it's because I'm 55 and I am awake at four in the morning, but I don't now. It's just the most special time of the day for me. That's not religious. You know, Paul said that we used to think like a child. We talked like a child. We did childish things. And then he says, you know, we surpass that when perfection comes and and there's a surpassing of that childish way. I think I think it's a comparison. Religion is the is the way of child. Like we need that structure, right? We need that. But at a certain point, the world missed, especially I think the Christian world for our context missed that that's not the that's not the end. That that mm-hmm. was meant to be the childish ways. And then Paul says in Galatians five, when you talk about love against such things, there is no law. I mean, you, you get to the point where love's driving you with God and your relationship and what you do when you wake up at four in the morning. 
that there's no somebody standing over me saying, well, you're a preacher and you ought to pray. That's, that's, that's not going to be as effective mm-hmm. as love. So what about you? What turns you off? Creatively, others' opinions. I, I, um, been asked that. I think we talked about it before. Not care, me not caring what other people think about me, and all half of that for me comes from working the twelve steps and making that a, not an event but a way of of life daily. But I believe the other part of that that I developed that characteristic was was through the arts. And then the the, uh, the antichrist of, of the creative process is others' opinions. I was one time sitting with a who I believe to be a very successful songwriter. He was in town from Nashville, and we were at a diner in Cincinnati in 2010. And I asked him, how, did, how do you know you've written a good song? He said, when I would listen to it. And that was, that was so crucial for any, any creation, any endeavor that you are producing that would I would I purchase this? Would I listen to this? Would I? And that is the judgment, you know, his, his creation, creativity, art, it's all subjective. No one, no one really knows that Yellow Brick Road is a great song, but the general opinion of it is that Elton John's Yellow Brick Road is a great song, but that's not why it's written. It was, it was from that he felt it was good. So I, I think, Others' opinions, and Bertie is... Talpin, yeah, yeah, which, what a team there. <laughs> That's right, yeah. Um, others' opinions. It would, it would, anytime I get locked into that, I become self-absorbed, and and that is is when I I I've never been able to produce or or at least work um, to create something. Um, it, it's you know it's wearisome. I think I've told you that I look forward to the day when what I produce is not evaluated constantly, mm-hmm. thumbs up, thumbs down. We're sitting in our basement, and part I've had things that I've made that people go, "Oh, you got to sell that." And the minute that it becomes a point of sale is the minute it becomes evaluated. And it's the minute that there's no fun in it for me. So not that I won't sell a lot of these things, reproduce them, but man, I have to put my product in front of a thousand people a week. Others' opinions can either weaken your you and what you create or what you do, or it can give meaning and reason in the sense that I, I look at, you know, whether it's an actor, an athlete, or a writer, or whoever, it can wear you down and and it becomes your why of you, you know, you're trying to impress people, which there's no longevity. You can create good things in that, but there is no longevity there. But when that is there, that when the criticism is there, it can strengthen your love for why you're doing this. It hones in and it focuses that this is about, you know, this is about my love for this and the, and the, the method of creation, the, pr- the process of that is why I'm in this, not for the finished product of it. What would you say to that person today who's listening to this and, and they they can't measure up. It just seems like they're in a double bind. They're in a no-win situation. They can't produce the product good enough. They can't write the piece clearly, effectively enough. With the balance 
that you have to live in a real world, what would you say to that person? From, especially from a recovery standpoint. Mm-hmm. I'm asking you, boy, I'm struggling with, I told you the other night, and I'm not struggling with this because this was actually a sign of maturity. For the first time that I've ever, I'm sure people have had this opinion, but I told you the first time ever in 35 years of doing this, someone was talking about a sermon I did 15 years ago that was terrible. I used the word terrible. Mm-hmm. And from my standpoint, I'm not impressed with what I do. Like, so when I watch myself, I'm not impressed. I'm literally not impressed. But on the other hand, I, I am 100% satisfied with the effort I've always given. So in my mind, I've never spoken a bad sermon. Because when I put that out there, that was my best lamb. And artistically, I've never done one that I'm not satisfied with, artistically. Mm-hmm. So he said that. And so it was kind of neat because it, it was like, well, that didn't really rock me. But, well, that's a first. Mm-hmm. That's a first. I've never been told that I did one that was terrible. He used the word, it was terrible. And... It just made me think about how subject we are to people's opinions and then the state of maturity you get to when that doesn't rock you as much. You got there a lot quicker than I did. As we wrap this up, what would you say to that person who's still, as James put it, tossed about like a wave of the sea, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, blown here and there? Well, sticking with in the example of acting from a creative standpoint, from a production standpoint why, as I said, why I love acting is because they are, there's no, I just, I've, I've looked at this profession so deeply that um, they're so focused on the process and not the product. That's it. The, the bad movies don't even exist in them. Bad reviews, I mean, I'm sure, you know, it, it stings them at some point, but they are truly in this because they love researching the character and then figuring out how to, how that character will re- react in this situation. And so from, a, and similarly to a recovery standpoint, that person is, is number one, they're the one that's saying that they're not measuring up. They're the one, no one else is saying that they're the one believing those things, but they're living in the past and the future. They're not living. And it's not to be cliche and say living in the moment, but they are not focused on what, what can you control and what can't you control the past and the future. You know, the today has enough trouble of its own, you know, um, don't worry about tomorrow and the past is past. As you said, that's why they call it the past. It's gone. And, and, and so that's, so no wonder when your, your focus is on two other things that the thing that you're really living in existing in reality is so difficult because you're not living in there. there. You're living in what will happen or could happen or should happen or what has happened and, you know, and this and that. So it's no wonder that the, the, the present is such a difficult thing. So today, here's our gift. Live today. Focus on the process, not the product. That's it for Chucked. We'll see you next time.